Uh, would you guys stand with me once again? Up and down, up and down, right? But we will not have any kneelers in front of you, that's for sure. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. We're going to look through verse 28. Now, one of the things, uh, let me share this with you. This passage really goes all the way through the end of the chapter, through verse 42. We can't cover all that. So really, this is part one of two parts to cover this passage, covering this same event. And you'll see that as we, as we move forward, even though we're not going to read from 29 on through verse 42. But uh, we're going to read 17 to 28 here this morning. I'm reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all these words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with, with him came and called the council together, that would be the Sanhedrin, with all the elders of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. And Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts this morning, that your spirit would be with us to teach us, that he would be with us to lead and guide us into all of your truth, that he would give us understanding of these things, the wisdom and discernment, not only to understand, but to know how we can apply these things to our lives, the way we ought to walk with you, the things we ought to do, the way we ought to even think in regard to the world around us as we walk with you. So God, have your way and be glorified in it all. And might we receive the blessing of your grace this morning through this teaching. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Last week, as we looked at verses 12 to 16... We basically saw the state of the church at that time, the uh, things that were going on in the lives of the apostles, and as we see verse 12, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done 
among the people. And that, that ends with verse 16 saying, Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, that sounds very much like what we read in the Gospels, doesn't it? You know, and as we learned, as we entered into, this, uh, into the book of Acts uh, a number of weeks ago now, that really what the book of Acts is, is the continuing work of Christ among the church and in Jerusalem, really wherever his people would be as we look through the book of Acts. And so this is definitely happening, happening the same kind of works that, that had taken place through the hands of Jesus are now taking place through the hands of the apostles. But more than that, the preaching and the teaching and men and women coming to follow after Christ because of that teaching and preaching and these wonders, these signs taking place as confirmation of the reality of those, the, the truth of those teachings. As we look at verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all who were with him. All the Sadducees, as we see there in verse 17, as a result of these works. Now, you remember earlier in chapter 4, the, the apostles, it was just simply John and Peter at that time were called before the Sanhedrin. They threatened them. They warned them never not to be teaching or, or to be speaking in the name of Jesus any longer. And see, we see that they're continuing to do so. In fact, the, the, uh, toward the end of chapter uh, 4, we see that very powerful moment when they are praying, asking God for boldness to speak the things that he told them to speak. The room shook. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they continued on with their teaching and preaching, sharing in the name of Jesus, right? And so this is also an extension of that. They're continuing to teach. You know, and really what we see here are some very powerful things. As they continue to do so, the Lord continues to confirm His truth in, uh, uh, through their hands, through the signs and the wonders. And, and we see that these high priests, the, or the high priest, uh, all who were with Him, these Sadducees, they were filled with indignation or they were filled with jealousy, some translations read. Indignation or jealousy because of what was going on through the apostles, not going on through them, but you see, they didn't believe in angels. They, they didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in the resu resurrection. And we remember that's why they are called Sadducees, right? Because that's why they are sad, you see. <laughs> and how sad not to understand these things, not to believe these things. And yet it's so true. And they were seeing these things happening, and they couldn't say that they weren't happening. We saw that in chapter 4. It continues on. And so they just try to shut them up. And it's interesting. We see here, I, I'm, you know, it, it fits more later as we see as they are brought before the, 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 the Sanhedrin and the high priest asks them the question there in verse 28. But it's interesting that the only thing that is dealt with here is the command that they had given them not to teach, not to speak 
in the name of Jesus. After all that goes on, all the signs and the wonders, and even the idea of them being cast into the prison, and then the next morning they're simply not there, but they're in that temple teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. Um, how that happened, I, it just mar it's a marvel to me that they, they didn't say, how'd you guys get out? You know? I think they didn't want to go there because I think they knew. I think they knew. They just want to. They didn't want to to deal with that. But the point is here, out of indignation, which usually is a, an emotion that we that we have, because something is going on around us that just isn't right. You know, many things are going on in our culture that can fill us with indignation because it's just not right that that should be happening. You know. The, the violence and the evil, the, the social unrest, the things that are happening, the, these things are, that, that are happening, it's like we can be filled with indignation, which isn't necessarily jealousy, but this word, the, the Greek word can be translated either way. But it fits with these Sadducees because, well, God wasn't doing anything through their hands. But I wonder why. They didn't think he could. You know, I mean, that was their mindset. And there are certain segments of the church today in which that kind of mindset exists. And so God isn't doing the kinds of works that he would want to do. And we, we posed that question just the other day as we talked about, and it was last week when we talked about Nazareth, right, and their rejection of Christ and how he could not do many works there because of their unbelief. And the reality that it is a very biblical truth that you and I, through our unbelief, can keep God from doing what he wants to do. We can tie his hands. That's amazing, isn't it? Through unbelief. The importance of faith. Well, these apostles are in prison. Now we see that that's more than just simply John and Peter. It is all the apostles. It, it certainly looks this way. And note what takes place next. Verse 19. At night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. Of course they're going to do that. But it's something that is very interesting, the way that we see this. This angel of the Lord comes. He, one, opens the prison doors. Secondly, brought them out. And then he said, go. Go to the temple and teach. Open the prison doors. Brought them out of that prison and said, go. Isn't that basically what happened to each and every one of us when we got saved? When the Lord Jesus freed us from whatever it was that held us in bondage, whatever sin it was that, that kept us in bondage, whatever area of life it was that just held us there, he freed us. He opened the prison doors. He brought us out of that prison. Then he said, go. And, and, and guys, 
We need to see here. The reason you are saved, the reason I am saved, isn't simply so that we can spend eternity with God in heaven. It is so that we can serve Him now. He says, go to every one of us. The question is, is, is have we gone? Are we using the spiritual gifts that He's given us in order to serve Him, to speak His name, to teach others this doctrine, and... and are, are, are we doing that? In Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, again, Jesus in Nazareth. Look at this. Luke chapter 4, I'd, I'd encourage you, even though the words are on the screen, place, or open your Bibles to that passage. I'm telling you, you need to do some highlighting here if you've not already done it. Luke 4, beginning in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. I want to pause there just for a moment. Now, Jesus didn't go in there thinking, I'm going to read this passage because I want to make a point to those who are worshiping today in the synagogue. No. In every synagogue, they had a prescribed um, curriculum that they were going to be going through. You know, and on this particular last day of the week, Sabbath day, they were going to be going through the 61st, the first several uh, verses of the 61st chapter of Isaiah. So the attendant handed him the book of Isaiah, and Jesus went to that place. He was given the honor of being able to do this himself as a guest rabbi in this particular synagogue. That's what they would do. He was given the book of Isaiah because every other synagogue in Israel was going to be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, this particular place in that book. So he, opened, he found that place as he was handed the book by the attendant. And as he, he had stood up, opened the book, began to read, this is what he read. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, just like they would every other rabbi who finished reading a passage of Scripture and then sat down to begin to teach out of that passage. Every eye was fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, certainly, that's not all he said. Notice it said, he began to say. That's a way of saying, this is the crux of what he was saying, out of love to heard how he wove the Old Testament scriptures to to, to speak of himself on this. But as he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, declaring, of course, that Isaiah 
as a prophet over seven centuries before Jesus took this on this day and read from it, were speaking of Jesus as the Messiah. Today, and, and then Jesus said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And as he sat down, verse 22, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? If we go on further into, the, into Luke's account here, we see that, that they, uh, Jesus spoke about how the things that were going on. The way that certain people, certain ministers, certain prophets, really we should say, in the Old Testament were, were rejected. And the way that their fathers, these Jewish people, their fathers rejected them. The way that they, were, that they rejected these particular prophets. We're going to look at a little bit more of that in just a moment. But they said, is this not Joseph's son? Just like last week we talked about the rejection of Jesus at Nazareth because they knew him. And it's one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to minister to our family. Because they know, our, our parents especially. You know, it's, it's this, this attitude that they can have is, well, I raised you. I mean, I gave birth to you. you you're, you're in this world because of me. You know, don't be coming to me with this stuff like you know more than I do. Kind of a thing. They can have that kind of an attitude. And as we faithfully live the gospel before them, as we faithfully live the gospel before them and continue to share with them the truth of the gospel, eventually the Lord saves them. How many of you in this room saw that happen in your own life? A number of you? A number of you? You know, I, Jeanette and I saw that. In fact, Pops is here this morning, and it took him and Mom nine years after we got saved before they gave their hearts to Christ. Remember, Pops? Nine years it took. But you know what, guys? They wanted nothing to do with us in the beginning. There was a period of time where we saw them only for holidays. They didn't want to be around us. They didn't want to hear it. But the Lord spoke to their hearts and saved them. God is faithful. God is faithful. So a, a word to you this morning, every one of us, who have loved ones who are not yet saved, let's not be afraid to make waves by speaking the truth. It is the truth that God uses, and that truth not only spoken, but especially being lived out in our lives, speaks volumes. It is not your responsibility nor mine to save anyone. It is our responsibility to be faithful to what God has called us to. And then he's going to do his work in the hearts of people around us. Amen? And so people get saved that way. That's how that works. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the key here, even as we see... These apostles placed into prison for speaking the truth, 
the angel comes and delivers them, and, and then he says, go, go to the temple and, and speak all the words of this life in the hearing of those who are there. It, it, that, that's a great example of what we are to do in our own lives. Figuratively speaking, the same kind of thing has happened to us. Are we being faithful to obey the Lord and go and do what he's called us to do? It's only through Jesus Christ, as we see there in John 8, and the word that he brings, that we can find this freedom, this deliverance. They faithfully, these apostles faithfully obeyed what the angel told them out of thankful servants' hearts. It brings to mind what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.12. He wrote, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Putting me into the ministry is another way of saying giving me a life of service. That's what ministry is, service, isn't it? That's what we are called to do. And so Paul, in his thankfulness, did that. We ought to be doing the same thing. We, we must understand that receiving freedom by Jesus also brings with that freedom a call to service to the one who freed us. Does that make sense? That's what we are called to do. And in Matthew 8, chapter, Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, we see the story of Peter's mother-in-law, sick. And how, P, how the Lord Jesus entered into the home of, of, of Peter. She was sick with a fever. He healed her, touched her. She rose up to serve him. Another example of the way we're touched by Jesus, we serve him. That's to be our response, to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as these apostles had been placed into prison, obviously we see once again the persecution that is taking place upon, toward the early church, the apostles in particular. Now, it was Paul also who later wrote to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 12. He said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Peter himself, experiencing these things in the book of Acts that we're reading about right now, he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? In other words, you deserve it. You deserve it. Have you ever um, come across someone? I remember, I've shared this with you guys in the past. Uh, when I was uh, still with Pastor David at Calvary Chapel, Ontario, before they moved to Chino, uh, we, we were doing some ministry. We had, uh, um, we had Dave Hunt out to do some ministry for us, uh, we, and we had, had it at... Uh, um, Tapia High School, I remember that, and it was, a, it was a weekday, it was on a Wednesday night, and there was a question and answer period afterward, and this, this, this one young man stood up, he had a question, and, 
And, he had, and the question had nothing to do with the things that he spoke of, but something else that, that uh, uh, he had written in another book of his that he was taking issue with, and he rose up and just kind of yelling and stuff like that about this, and, and he was asked, would you please ask a question about the presentation tonight? And no, 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 no. And he was just being very obstinate. The ushers basically had to drag him out, and then he was claiming that he was being persecuted for his faith. This always happens to me. Now, of course it always happens to me. You're an idiot. <laughs> you, are, you are not being persecuted. You're being dealt with because of your obstinance, because of your, well, we can leave it there. I don't know. I, I know somebody talked with him a afterwards. I didn't. I don't know what was spoken, but I hope those kinds of words were used. Nicely, nicely, but you know, I mean, sometimes people can think they're being persecuted because they're just being a jerk. No, you know, when you're not being nice, when you're being unkind, when, when you're being rude, when you're being obstinate, you're not following the rules, and, and it's like you think that it's all about you, of course you're going to be treated in that way if you make that kind of a scene in that way. What credit is it when you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? And, and he didn't even take it patiently. <laughs> but when you do good and suffer, when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, if we don't take it patiently, if we're griping and complaining about being persecuted, then it's not commendable before God. Right? For to this you were called, Peter writes. He understood that he was called to suffer for Jesus. He also understood, as the Holy Spirit led him to write that, that we are called to suffer for Jesus. What? I thought when I got saved, everything was going to be nice and rosy. Well, no, not yet. Some might think we can have our best life now. We cannot. Why? Because we're not in heaven yet. Remember, your life, my life, our lives do not end when these bodies stop working. They're going to continue on. And we're going to spend eternity either in the presence of God or out of His presence. One way or the other. And spending, spending eternity in the presence of God, that's when we are going to experience our best life. Our best life is not going on quite yet. To this you recall, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. There's one other place in the New Testament, by the way, in which Jesus is specifically cited as an example. And that is in John chapter 13, after the washing of the feet of the apostles uh, before they celebrated the Passover meal, the night before Jesus was crucified. Peter also wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good, than for doing evil. And then in 1 Peter 4.14, he wrote, 
if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Do we consider it a blessing when we are reproached for the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do we consider it a blessing? Do we thank the Lord for the privilege of suffering for his name's sake? This is what Peter wrote. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Jesus himself had a few things to say about this. In the Sermon on the Mount, it began with the Beatitudes, remember, in chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Peter and all the apostles, they were there hearing this incredible sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. They heard these things that Jesus spoke, and they watched Jesus live his life. They finally watched him die, being persecuted for righteousness' sake, and they understood the calling that Jesus had placed on their lives. Jesus said in John 15, in that upper room discourse, verses 18 to 20, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And it does go both ways. We're finding through the book of Acts that there are people responding to the gospel as it's being preached by the apostles. We also see that there are those who are persecuting them for their faith in Christ. And it's been, that's been taking place for 2,000 years now. Martyrs dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. The first ones among the apostles, really the very first martyr for Christ was not an apostle, but Stephen. We'll, we'll, we'll get to, to this story of him as we get to the seventh chapter in the book of Acts. Persecution really would be the norm for Christians in a world that has rejected our Savior. Does it seem that way to you as we read these passages? I guess the question is, is that the norm for us? Not that it's happening every moment of every day, but is it something that really isn't all that unusual? Or is it at least something that has happened? at least a few times. Obviously, it's going to be taking place 
more in cultures that don't recognize the word of God, and it will be taking place more and more in our own culture as we move further and further away from living as a culture, not us as the church within the culture, but as a culture according to the word of God. And because we are who we are within the culture, we, we, we really should be living lives that are countercultural. Not according to the culture, against the culture, different from the culture, because the word of God is not honored within the culture any longer like it once was. So the, perse- the persecution taking place, the angel delivering these apostles from that prison, opening those prison doors, bringing them out of that prison, sending them to the temple in order to minister, to, sit, to speak these words of life. And then verse 21, they went. That was their response. I love it when we see in various places in the scriptures, God said this, and so they did it. That's what they did. They heard the call. They heard the command. They followed. They obeyed. Might we be quick to obey the word of God? At the end of verse 21, we see these words. But the high priest, of course, the, the, the high priest, those with him, the, the rest of the Sadducees, the rest of the council, they, they didn't know what was going on. All they knew, the high priest called for a me- meeting of the Sanhedrin. This is the ruling body of the Jews. Seventy men who were part of it. The Sadducees were, were the ones who basically had control of that uh, ruling body among the Jews. And so... They called for a meeting, and so we see that. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders and the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Basically saying, okay, guys, we need to have another meeting. These guys are out there preaching in the name of Jesus again, and you guys know what's going on. You've, you've heard the accounts. You've heard about the healings. More healings are taking place. We, we've got to stop this. We've got to shut them up. We cast them into prison last night. We're going to bring them before us this morning. We're going to deal with them. Basically is what is going on. Verse 22. But but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. We went. Everything seemed to be in proper order. Everything was shut up the, 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 and, and locked. The, the prison guards were outside the front like they normally would be. We, we opened the door and went inside. They weren't there. We have no idea even how they got out. No signs of an escape. The, the guards knew nothing. They, they just weren't there. And so we see there in verse 24, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, his chief priest, heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. What on earth is going on? How did that happen? What's happening here? I could quote some words of a song. Something's happening here. What it is isn't exactly clear. Some of you my age know those words. But there's no guns involved, though. No guns involved. Anyway, 
they were, they were just marveling and wondering about the fact that they simply were not there. And, and it just blows my mind that these leaders did not even ask the apostles how that happened. Like I said earlier, I think they just didn't want to deal with it because they're dealing with things beyond their control, with things that they claim to not believe. But the fact that they wondered at it tells me that they began to think some things in regard to the reality of it because here it was. They weren't there. Signs and wonders were taking place. They don't believe in angels. I mean, it just they, they don't believe in these kinds of... And it's, just, it's happening around them. So as they're wondering, as they are marveling about these things, a second report came. Verse 25, one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Ah, they're doing it again. The question has to be asked. How can the adversaries of the gospel stop the gospel from being spread? You've got men like this who are willing to teach it, proclaim it, and preach it. How can they be stopped? They can't. And this is why the gospel still is alive in our world today. Now, it doesn't have the influence that we would hope it would. In our own nation, in our own culture, it no longer has the influence that it once had. But still, here we are on the first day of the week on a Sunday morning in church preaching the gospel. We still have the freedom to do so. There are other countries in which it's going on as well on a Sunday morning, and some pastors are going to be placed into prison because of it. It's not like that yet here. But I believe there's going to come a time. It's happening in Canada. It has happened there. And it's over the issue of hate speech in relation to the gay movement and their lifestyle and how the Bible, how it doesn't stack up with the Bible. And so the day's coming. The day's coming. We'll see. But might we always be bold? And might we, like the early church, be praying for boldness to speak the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is, these words are the only words by which men and women, children, can be saved from their sin. The only way. We know that, don't we? How can we not preach it? How can we not? As Peter responded in Acts chapter 4, to the Sanhedrin. We've got to, we, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about this. Well, the question comes not, how did you get into the temple? The question is, didn't we tell you to stop doing that? Have you forgotten so quickly? Well, 
did these Sadducees forget the response of Peter? We're not going to stop. We have to speak about the things that we've seen and heard. We have to. If you think we ought to listen to you rather than listening to God, that's your, your, that's your thing. We have to. We have to. We can't not speak about the things we've heard and seen. Oh, God, help us to have that attitude that we have to speak the truth as the words of God. What we have experienced because of Him, the things that we've heard and seen, that's tantamount to speaking about the things that God has done in our lives. And the way that we have seen God change the lives of others around us through the Word of God. And we're going to continue, continue to speak the Word of God because it, it saves souls and changes lives. It's happened to me. It's happened to others around me. We're not going to stop. That's basically what they are saying, and that's the attitude that we ought to have. Do we have that attitude? Is that our conviction? We have to talk about Jesus because he's done so much for me. I can't stop talking about him. You can throw me in prison if you like. You can drag me off of the pulpit. You can take me out of the streets. You can remove me from the job, whatever it may be, but I'm not going to stop. And when you begin to do that, the prison ministry is going to flourish like never before. As it did when Paul was placed into prison. You know, something in relation, I just read this recently. I thought, you know, that's true. It was, uh, I think it was Pastor Chuck who, who spoke these words. It was, it was. As I was reading, uh, preparing for this message, he said, you know, th there are times when God doesn't open those prison doors and he leaves us there. And it's so that the gospel can be preached there in that prison. Like it was with the Apostle Paul. Prison guards and Caesar's household were, were, were being saved because Paul was there. And also we have the authorities to thank for the letters, the prison epistles that were written by the Apostle Paul as he sat in prison. You know, and, and it's like, wow, you know, it's like that, that, that is so true. I mean, God has his purposes for whatever he has taking place in our lives. He can free us for, for, from a particular thing. He can leave us there in that particular thing, wanting to accomplish some other purpose through it. I'm not, and neither are you, smart enough, wise enough to make that call, but he is. He makes it. He either frees us or he leaves us there. It is our job simply to be faithful to obey him. And then allow him to use that, to use us in that circumstance or through the freedom that he gave us from that circumstance to bring honor and glory to himself and to bring blessing to other people around us. Have we commanded you not to speak this? Verse 28 
and look. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Oh, that it would be said that our cities would be filled with this doctrine. Note, though, that these, this high priest said, your doctrine. The high priest believed it was some twisted thing that they were speaking, that Jesus really wasn't the Messiah, would not call it the word of God or God's doctrine, your doctrine. But isn't it true that it indeed was their doctrine, but it was their doctrine only as it had been given to them by Jesus Christ himself? It was a doctrine of God through Jesus the Messiah to the apostles given to us in the New Testament. New Testament apostolic doctrine. The Apostle Paul wrote in 11.23a, the first part of that verse, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, as he's about to speak about or write about communion, the Lord's Supper. I'm only telling you what I received from the Lord. That's what Jesus said. The things that I'm speaking to you are what my Father gave to me to, get, to speak to you. The things that I'm doing are the things that the Father gave to me to do. It's not up to us. It's up to us to listen and to hear what the Lord has to say and to do that, to give that. Accurately give what God has given to us. Thank God that he's given us his written word, the New Testament and the Old, in this precious book. Let's be sure that we're giving only what is here. Not adding to it, not taking away, giving the word of God. That's what gives God honor and brings souls to Jesus Christ. The word of God. Oh, that our cities would be filled with this doctrine. In our own personal lives, every one of us here have a sphere of influence. We have people around us, family members, neighbors, people we work with, we go to school with, that we do business with, out in the marketplace, you know, a, a, a barber or a hairdresser, for example. Um, we have a sphere of influence. I guess the question for us really is, and not so much our city, yeah, that, but, you know, really, as, as every one of us impact the lives of the people that are within our own sphere of influence, as we teach, as we preach, as we live the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be impacted by it. We've, we've been talking about that. How the Lord uses our lives and the lives of people around us. And the question for you and for me this morning really is, is our own sphere of influ influence filled with the New Testament doctrine? as we have been faithful to give it to them? It's a question for us to ask. 
when that happens, certainly our cities will be filled with it. Another thing that's added here, and this is the last thought that we're going to look at this morning here, and this is why we have to stop right here, even though I look at verse 29, oh, we got to go there, we ought to weigh God rather than man. We'll talk about next, that next week. They intended to bring this man's blood on us. You know, so far the preaching of Peter was very clear about the fact that, well, yeah, you're the ones that led the chant outside of Pilate's uh, uh, palace, crucify him, crucify him. Right? You're the ones who in Matthew 27, verses 24 and 25, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Wow. Did these Jewish leaders, along with the people, did, did they basically pronounce a curse upon themselves through the rest of history? His blood be on us. Jesus in Matthew 23, a little bit earlier than that. Matthew 23 is that chapter in which Jesus is pronouncing seven woes upon the Pharisees and the scribes and, and all. For their, uh, for their hypocrisy. And in that passage, beginning in verse 29, this is the last woe, the seventh woe that he pronounces upon them. Follow along as I read. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say... If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them with the blood of the prophets. We never would have done that. Jesus goes on and says, Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." Really, these people who rejected Christ, now some of them will come to him after the initial rejection. Anybody here ever ha have that happen? I mean, you were rejecting Jesus for a while, and finally the Holy Spirit just spoke so clearly to you that you bowed your knee to Jesus, right? That's what happens to us. Well, they had rejected, but they were just like their fathers who rejected the prophets, killed them even as they were about to kill Jesus himself, the Messiah, not simply a prophet, but the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They would reject him. 
And what's the problem with rejecting the prophets? Well, it's, it's more than simply that God sent them, but they're called prophets. What were they doing? They were speaking God's word. A rejection of the prophets is a rejection of the word of God, a rejection of the truth of God, really a rejection of God himself. The same holds true today. A rejection of God's truth is in a very real sense an act of self-condemnation. Because there's no way that any person can be made right with God, can be saved from his or her sins, can be redeemed apart from the work of Christ on the cross. No way, right? Three people agree. <laughs> no way, right? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So anyone who would reject the truth of the scripture as spoken by anyone who might speak, and not just simply a, a pastor speaking from the pulpit on a Sunday morning like I'm doing now, but you going out and sharing God's truth with people who you know don't want to hear it, but they need to. You know you call, you'll cause waves, but it's not you. It's the gospel. Remember, Jesus said, if people hate you, you know that they hated me first. Let's not make it about us. Let's not be whining and griping and complaining, oh, they just won't listen to me. Elijah was, at, was doing that one time. I'm the only one alive who will do this. No. The Lord said, shut up. There's other people. You just don't know about it. It's about Jesus, isn't it? It's about him, his truth, about him being truth, his love and what he's done for you and for me. And for others who need to hear what he's done for them because he loves them. Because you love me was sung earlier today. Because you love me. Your God loves you, doesn't he? Okay, you, you can respond. <laughs> Your God loves you, doesn't he? He loves you more than we can imagine. Oh, God, help us. Might we be like these apostles who said we can't help but speak the things that we've seen and heard. And Father, help us to do that. Help us to speak these truths. Help us, Lord, to Lord, allow you to work in our lives as we cooperate with your truth. Knowing, Lord, that we've been saved We've been made right. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, which your word proclaims. And might we be faithful. It's not about us. It's not about the things that happen to us. It's not about whether or not we're going to be persecuted. It's not about whether or not people are going to hear. Oh, it's not going to do any good. Sometimes we'll say they need to hear 
God, help us. Help us. God, might we, even as you, Lord Jesus, sent the apostles, as you had sent the prophets, you also send us. But might we understand what the Apostle Paul wrote as he wrote to Timothy, he wrote, What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. You will deliver us, Lord. And we've got an eternity in heaven waiting for us. We're to keep our eyes on the things above and not below. Help us to do so. And so, Lord, might we, everyone in this room who have followed after you, who have bowed our knee to you, Lord, might we look keeping our things, keeping our eyes on the things above and not below, knowing our end, knowing we've got, we've got eternity with you. But until that time, might we occupy, might we be about your work until you come. Be honored through it. Be glorified through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.